Welcome to Change Hackers, providing daily insight and inspiration for people changing their world. I'm your host, Tony Cook, and I invite you to join me today in conversation with someone on the front line of driving change and transformation. My guest today is Valentina Valendia. Valentina is co-founder of Capacity, a Zurich-based startup incubator for refugees and migrants with the aim of integrating them into Swiss economy and society. Born in Colombia, Valentina is a specialist in gender policy and has studied and worked in the US, Singapore and Europe. She co-founded Capacity in 2015 to pursue her interest in gender and social exclusion. I spoke to Valentina face-to-face at the United Nations in Geneva, where we were both speaking at a conference on social innovation. So, Valentina, welcome to Change Hackers. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So you're working now on sort of a combination of working with refugees, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, and migrant workers uh, yeah. in across Switzerland, but based in Zurich. But you also have uh, a, a, a keen interest in gender issues, too. Exactly. How do, where do you trace that back to? Where, where did you get started on, <laughs> on your interest in that? That's a good question, and it may be a long story then. <laughs> but um, if we look at the... So so right now, what I'm doing at the moment, to give it some context from now and then do a retrospective journey. Um, so I am one of the um, initiators of Capacity. So Capacity is a startup incubator for persons with refugee and migrant background who would like to become entrepreneurs and launch a for-profit or a non-profit initiative in Switzerland. And uh, my background for the past 10 years professionally was mostly on gender policy and gender policy analysis. Um, However, after uh, burnout, so we will start and then I will tell you where this interest came from. After a gender burnout, what we coined in our group that is called the Gender Lab, which you may have heard of Mm -hmm. recently from the Collaboration Helvetica. So I'm, I'm part of this group of leaders on gender from Switzerland um, that would like to instigate some change in regards to gender. So I I say that I work at the intersection of gender, migration, and entrepreneurship, because I believe that that's what defines me the most. What a nexus. Exactly. (laughs) It's quite a massive nexus. (laughs) But if we trace back the true interest, so um, I was born in the middle of the Amazon River, actually. So my parents were living in different um, remote areas of Colombia. Doing uh, my mom, my mother was specifically, well, they were teaching in, in different populations and trying to preserve the languages, dif- different native languages in different parts of Colombia. So they were there for about eight years, and also um, because of that, the first three years of my life, which I don't remember were in the middle of the jungle. But I think that set the stage for my subsequent journey around the world. Um, I was literally born on a boat in a tiny canoe. <laughs> a I thought you canoe. were talking metaphorically. You're li- no, literally, I'm literally talking. Literally, you were born in the middle <laughs> yes. of the Amazon River. Yes. <laughs> I could probably Massive guarantee storm. you'll be the only person I ever <laughs> interview for this <laughs> podcast that Massive. can make that claim. Massive storm. And to link it back to the name, Valentina. So right. Valentina um, means brave. And the reason why my mom gave me this name, actually, if you see, I have a tattoo. And this the tattoo is of Valentina Tereskova. She was the first Astronaut. woman who went to space. Uh-huh. And uh, she was reading her autobiography as she was pregnant, my mother. 
And because of that, and because of the circumstances in which I was born, which thankfully were easy enough and she never had any complications through the birth, mm. um, then she decided to name me after that because she wanted to set the stage for me and for me to be able to dream as high as I wish to want to go as, wow. as high as I wish to be. Wow. To go. There's so much <laughs> aspiration sort of wrapped up in just your name. <laughs> exactly. But um, as we fast forward um, towards my teenage years, um, my mother, when I was about 12 years old, well, she was, I grew up in a matriarchy. Then my mother was a single mother and... Uh, my, I lived with my grandma and with my aunt and my mother. And it was such an inspirational journey because they were powerhouses. So for me, it was a no-brainer. And I could never question the power of our matriarchy. And they all were working women, including my grandma. So then I always had these literally really close role models as, as female role models that were inspiring me to, to, to see that the the norm or the normal was their level of work and a work ethic mm. and always with um, social aims. Um, ever since I remember, my mother is a linguist and she was always looking into or working in inner city schools, for instance, when she could work at university, which she also did, or at the French embassy. But for her, it was very important that we, grew, growing up in a middle-class Colombian family, also were able to understand different realities. And this was very powerful. But of course, as a single mother, it was very difficult for her to uh, financially see for us. So then she decided to go to the U.S. and stay in the U.S. illegally um, when I was about 12 years old. So we didn't see each other for about four or five years, which is, um, I think, a very transformative part of my journey. But again, because I was raised with my grandma and my and my aunt I still have a, had a very strong kind community tough around. decision for it to take very tough community very tough decision especially because um, it was my my half sister my brother and I and uh, that's it's difficult to leave your kids behind and to take into any adventure literally with right. a mountain of debt and th going back to your point during the talk about those who do the best work tends to be remunerated the least. Um, so again, this equation was part of, of our life, but we look at everything from a very positive standpoint. So then sure enough, like I got my visas denied so many times with my siblings, but then we decided, okay, we must be doing something wrong. And this is where my entrepreneurial spirit, <laughs> spirit comes. And I started doing a lot of research about it until we managed to, to go to the US as international the students and then turned into more of an economic migrant situation um, and then we were already there so once you are out I think it's much easier to navigate different systems mm. as, as young professionals mm. Mm. and but back to the gender so that's part of the base of the gender but really the turning point for my deep love for feminist theory was when I was at university doing communication studies and uh, my professor from political science, which was an elective actually, I decided to take a class on gender. Uh, it was not gender policy, but I believe it was gender and media or something like that. And my professor, Shira Tarrant, whom I admire endlessly, really opened up my eyes to a whole new world of possibilities. So while I was studying communication studies, I started taking all my electives on gender because I thought it was a fascinating world 
through which I could see the world. And that made so much sense to me. So it was a discovery. It was a discovery. While you were it was a discovery that made sense with my life. Informed by strong female exactly. role models in, ba- exactly. in your background. Yeah, but also yeah. from a very inclusive perspective. So she looks at it from a non-binary perspective, meaning mm. that it's really encompassing anybody who's part of the LGBTQ and representation also from men in places where they're not represented, but also understanding the, the different needs of women and men and everything in between. Um, and in the workplace, at school, in the academy, so from a very holistic perspective, which I really appreciate because mm. it was very refreshing. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, uh, just out of interest, uh, mm-hmm. what, when you were sat in the classroom there, uh, what percentage of the class were male? Um, that's a very good question. So it was maybe maximum 15%. Right, doesn't surprise me um, in the least. Yeah, yeah, but those who were there, actually I'm still very good friends with them, and really, really open-minded um, individuals who are doing right now work on gender. So actually, what's funny is that even though the representation of men in the gender field is not as high, still there are more and more men coming into into the um, field. So I've worked in the past with many Swedish colleagues who are in the field, not mm-hmm. surprisingly, because obviously Sweden... Well, Scandinavia, Scandinavia generally is generally pretty enlightened, isn't it? On exactly, when it comes to... to gender policy they are yeah. really light years ahead of yeah. the majority of yeah. the world that's so more or less equivalence on paternity leave i think yeah also yes they do yeah. they do have quite some interesting yeah. models that have proven to be quite effective and yeah. inclusive for for men as well yeah. yeah i speak to more and more men now mm-hmm. who you know if you get past the actual gender issue and you talk think about feminization of everything from from individuals through to i reckon that we're all you know, other than biologically, we're all mm-hmm. emotionally both male and female. We have exactly. you know, characteristics yeah. within us. Some men more are more empathic than others are. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so on. Um, and you see this happening in organizations too, don't you? Yeah. And, and you know, feminization of organizations is, is I mean, holds uh, so many possibilities mm-hmm. for organizations behaving better. And I would even go one step further to mentioning how it's if you look around, there are more differences between women and women than between men and women. And I think in right. general terms, what's really interesting about this is that we are all human, right? And I think there are more individual yeah. differences and personality traits that are very much attached to our own selves and personas yeah. um, that are many times disregarded by these massive boxes and categories, right? Um, but if you look at certain ways of leading, for instance, if you, I don't know if you've ever bumped into Susan Kain's um, no. uh, quiet. So it's the, the power of introverts in a world that can stop talking. And this is a fascinating book and movement because it really looks at yet another uh, trying to disrupt another binary, right? Introversion and extroversion. Mm-hmm. And even if I ask you right now, like, and if you start thinking about people in your life, men and women and around you, you will find all kinds of, of introverted and extroverted and dominant and less dominant. Yet we tend to um, attribute certain characteristics to femininity and certain characteristics mm-hmm. to masculinity. And to be honest, from my perspective, I don't even know how to define either because I think it's, for me, it's hard to make that decision because, yes, there is a common conception of what would, uh, in a society or in a context, be seen as feminine or masculine. But if you ask me, like, for me, my, my definition of either would be very similar. 
because I think again, there's there's so many nuances within each mm. bulk and or box of characteristics. Oh, I guess it's no different from making gen uh, cultural stereotypes, exactly, is it? Exactly. Really, we need so to get over this kind of uh, you know fear of the other and, and the the um, uh, labeling people. Yes, yes, yes. Because I think that it's different the labels that you put in your like on yourself mm -hmm. to to show your world and to mm. ident you know to find your own identity, but it's a bit. Um, unfair and more difficult to try to get rid of those labels that are put onto you. Mm. So it's kind of the difference between whatever I decide to do or just asking people how they want mm -hmm. to define themselves is the same with the whole discussion around should um, members of the LGBTQ group be able to marry and then those who make this decision should be those who want to get married with whoever they want to get married, right? But like, is this constant exercise of imposing things based on my own perspective and opinion and not based on what others mm -hmm. would like to do with their lives? And I think it's really fascinating when you start kind mm -hmm. of dividing those two dimensions of... of Just as a, a, a side note here, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a, a father of um, uh, three teenage mm -hmm. children, uh, a 19-year-old and 16-year-old mm -hmm. uh, twins. And the, the twins came home from school the other day and my son announced to me, he says, Dad, we got, we've got to redraw the, the questionnaires people had to fill in. Um, it's no good saying male, female, prefer not to say or <laughs> other. Uh, please specify. He says, you know, th there are actually 78 different genders. <laughs> there are. <laughs> you know what? I think it's so fascinating because I think there will be so many, so many more and more and more until there's this kind of pressure is going to up and explode right, and well then there's not going to be any difference whether you are this or that right? right and i think it's a it's an interesting evolution of terminology and the need that it's an interesting that. evolution of self identity exactly as exactly. well isn't it and and you know i've heard people and the counter argument is mm. that it leaves it leaves young people um lost in terms of trying to figure out their own mm. identity it, it, choices aren't as simple mm. as they used to be mm -hmm. so you know, is there a balance to be struck somewhere in the middle or or you know, think it's generally a healthy thing? But I think it's very interesting to have these conversations and I encourage you to have this conversation with, with your children to continue having it because yeah. you would have so many different perspectives on it, right? Because for many, um, when I do work with teenagers, for many of them are like, oh, I just really don't care. And, you know, they, it's kind of this almost moment in which they trespass or they go beyond looking at the person based on the gender and start understanding it as yourself. Yes. And I think it's quite fascinating, but again, it's one of these generational changes that start coming up, especially with the neutralization or the agenderization yeah. of certain, you know, even brands, clothing brands, also trying to get rid of the common conceptions of colorism and all these different attributions that are made to, to boys and girls that is still quite, I mean, I think depending where you are in the world can be quite salient, but mm -hmm. at the same time, they are redefining. The reason why we, had, we have 28 types of gender identities may be because those who are actually taking um, ownership over these platforms are also redefining the ideas of who they want to be and who they are. So I think it's in terms of finding a middle point, I think what's fair is for you to decide what works for you. If for you, you're in a very s extreme side of the spectrum, that's perfectly fine. And that's perfectly fine for you to decide whether you don't want to have choices. But for others who really want to have the choices and don't want to be stuck into one 
um, specific category to have that opportunity to decide for themselves because ultimately is, is their lives, right? And mm. some people who are confined into into certain categories yeah. may end up or to have to fit certain categories may, may end up much unhappier at the end of the day. Well, one thing uh, as a positive um, yes. effect of this has, has been a, 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 in my own children, I see so much more tolerance and open-mindedness exactly. uh, around difference yeah. than, than, than there was in my generation yeah. when I was at school age. Yeah. Um, that's got to be a good thing. So let me bring you back, mm-hmm. though, because um, yeah. I feel well out of my depth. <laughs> <laughs> let's, <laughs> this, let's bring this, back. This is, not my, this is not my subject matter expertise <laughs> yes, at no all. Um, it's absolutely fascinating, <laughs> and I could talk for hours about it, because I generally I really am very yeah, interested. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what I'm really interested mm-hmm. in is, is uh, 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 aside from having a passing interest yeah. um, in, in these issues, yeah. what point you came to and you thought, this is something I want to forge a career around? Mm-hmm. So the point was when I finished my bachelor program as an international student in the U.S. And it was right after the recession of 2008. So you can imagine if it was difficult for local students to find a job then in the U.S., it was really tough for us as international students because we get only one year unless you're in the STEM field of science, technology, engineering Mm -hmm. or mathematics to stay in, in the U.S. For, for three years. So if you're in STEM, you can stay for three years. But if you're not, if you're in any humanities or anything different, you have only one year. And in the U.S., it takes a lot of resources for companies to hire you, especially as someone who's of not um, that doesn't have any residency. So for them, it's a really big investment. So nobody wants to do that investment in training and also monetary investment for the person to have to leave after a year. This is quite a tough process. So then I decided to move to Singapore, literally in a matter of almost two weeks. I said, like, uh, by then I had met my now husband, and by then we were partners. We met when I was 18 years old, and we're still together. I'm 30, almost 31 years old, so it's interesting to see how oh, wow. we, we decided. So he's, he's Swiss, um, and we decided to, to find a mid- a, another place, kind of a neutral place, where we could both continue our relationship, but also develop professionally and personally. Mm -hmm. Uh, We looked at many different places, but then at the end of the day, we thought Singapore, first of all, with a Colombian passport is not the easiest to navigate the world. So um, Singapore had, at that time, I don't know if it's still the case, quite flexible um, migration patterns or models. Um, so then getting a work permit was relatively easy. Mm-hmm. So then I ended up, we ended up going there. Uh, my partner did an MBA and I found a job at the UN agency. Actually, I didn't find it. I really, really looked for it. So it was, I will tell you how that happened because I think many people are interested in how to break through the UN world because it's very tough to enter. It was a little bit of luck and good timing, but at the same time, it was hard work. So when I got there, I had been researching about different UN agencies around the world. And I knew that after my classes with Shira, I really wanted to enter into the field. But obviously, I didn't have much experience on it, mm-hmm. apart from maybe writing about the topic and joining some clubs or initiatives in California. So then I decided to to start really doing an, a targeted outreach uh, to the um, agency, to the UN Women Agency, who was in in Singapore. So everyone told me, oh, you're wasting your time. You're mm, never going right. to make it. So I decided to 
literally took, I, I think I took almost a month to draft my application. Really researched as much as I could about the people who worked in the organization, about the, orga the, the events, where they were present, what they were doing, what were the mandates, what were the areas of operation, everything about them before submitting my application. So sure enough, I submitted it online, didn't hear, didn't hear anything back. So then I decided to call, follow up, radio silence I couldn't find out what what and I knew that it was obviously that was this the traditional was advertised path. job this was this was not an advertised job but this was for me just you know sending an applied application to the organization okay. mm -hmm. so it was not advertised but then I decided to literally walk into the into the organization and <laughs> I had my entire package and I went with my all my things and I decided to knock on the door. By then it was a beautiful um, small house in the middle of Orchard Road, which is a very big mm -hmm. road in Singapore. But it was the only little white house in the middle that I think it doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Beautiful house, the only place with a lot of trees at that area because the rest are massive sky racers. So, so then I ended up just to close it up, ended up going in, um, knocking on the door. Lucky for me, the person who opened up the door was the director of the organization no who way. happened to be that day. She's in, she was not there very often. Um, and then she was kind of running out of the of the office, but then I talked, I managed to talk with the, with the manager, with the office manager. And we had a beautiful conversation. And I was just, you know what? I just, I really want to work here. And this is why A, B, Z, D. And I had all my arguments all literally ready and rehearsed. And she's like, oh, this is very interesting. Well, leave me the things and then we'll get back to you. And I was like, oh, I need to go out with her business card. Otherwise, it, again, it's maybe a lost opportunity. Sure enough, I said like, oh, do you mind if I get your business card? I promise I'll just do it for the follow-up of, of this application. She's like, yes, of course. So she gave me her business card one week after, no, about a week and a half after I followed up. Then they called me up for an interview. It was like three-step interview process. One person was leaving at that time, and she was the communications specialist. So that was... And then after, you know, I was super prepared. Like, I think I did nothing else but prepared for that <laughs> meeting. And sure enough, I ended up working there. And I think that was the entry into the UN world from an NGO perspective because it's a small um, agency. It's almost harder than getting into Google. I have no idea. I've never <laughs> tried to get into Google. Well, apparently so. <laughs> but it's... it's um, it's a very tough network to get into, especially with a paid position when you just exit, when you literally just finished. There's a great story I heard once um, uh, when Steve Jobs was 12. You've probably heard this one um, that he, um, he he decided he wanted to get into computers. Um, so he wrote to Dave Hewlett, co-founder of mm -hmm. Hewlett Packard, as a 12-year-old, and said, "Have you got any spare parts? I'm trying to make something at school for a project." <laughs> And he wrote back to him. He said, "Come round to my garage. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you the parts." Yes. So it just, but it's the the point is, your story is exactly the same. It's an example of just you know, you will do whatever it takes yeah. to yeah. to get yourself in through the door. Yeah, um, and and, and the not going to be fobbed off by you know some some junior in HR sending you a exactly. polite standard letter exactly. um, that that kills your dream. Exactly, and I think that um, again, I don't come from. Any, any, my family is a family of intellectuals, but they are by no means, you know, from the oligarchy of Colombia. They, mm. We had no contact. My mom, as I told you the story, so it's 
these are one of the positions that typically you see someone maybe from Latin America, they may come from a certain history of family. So it's yeah. again, trying to break those entry points and prove on the top of that that you can actually do the job despite having a different background or not the exact same background. really shouldn't be so difficult. I know, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. And I think that, to be fair, that organization was really, especially that one, that agency in, in Singapore, brilliant team that has a very beautiful way of looking at work and uh, looking at individuals who work for them. And I think that that makes a difference. Anyways, it's down to the team, right? And to how they look and how they hire and how they look at qualifications and whether they take that into consideration or not. And from my case, I had no, I didn't, I probably didn't fulfill 80% of the requirements for that role. Um, but I really wanted it. And I think they really love that spirit and that, I was going to say, I mean, they can teach the rest. Exactly. You can't teach that spirit, exactly. can you? Exactly. No. So how long a story is it then from, from, from being the, finding yourself into the, in the UN mm-hmm. to, to what you're doing now? I mean, is, is, it, is it been it's a, actually not that a straightforward long. path through? No, I knew that in order to continue within the UN system and with, within the field, I had to do further education. So I decided, we took a decision, actually, I, I told my partner... We're going to Switzerland, and he's Swiss, right? And he's like, "No, I don't want to go back home." Like, <laughs> really? We're going back home. <laughs> no, no, Why is no, that? To avoid national thing. service or something? <laughs> Not at all, because um, he even didn't have to do it because he was a professional tennis player in in okay, Switzerland with right. the Swiss Federation. So he actually had to, of course, go through the other part because he had a special arrangement, or mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how it works. But it was just he loved being for a foreigner somewhere somewhere else and it made him feel very special um, but of course it was it was a good obviously I didn't make him <laughs> move back here it was a natural step because we were always trying then he went to China and we were always trying to live in the same place at the same time and for mm-hmm. that we both had to have either work permits or student permits or some sort of of status in a certain country if it was a third country outside of our countries mm. so i think by then colombia was still a little bit conflicted to go back so why switzerland so then we dis- oh for me it was a very strategic move it was because geneva so i chose geneva i was living here um because i wanted to study gender policy and i wanted and to, place to do work it. exactly to work within the broader policy landscape and understand international organizations and for me this was the makeup for international organizations and I really wanted to explore it um, and see what opportunities would be and sure enough um, I was able to come over and enter through different contacts and also through a lot of outreach and strategic moves into through two NGOs to work um, on a convention that is called CEDO is the convention on all forms of discrimination of, elimin- of elimination of discrimination against women? Very fascinating treaty that 175 countries sign it, and I happened to. I mean, I learned so much, and I remember looking at the experts or the people sitting and in the place where we were sitting today, and thinking like, "Oh, I'm I wish one sitting. day." <laughs> yeah, we're still <laughs> sitting here, and I always thought like, "Oh, I hope one day I'm gonna be able to sit there, not as a." you know, conference organizer, but actually to be able to talk about the I hope you didn't feel topic. like an imposter today. Oh, no, not at all. It was <laughs> just so fascinating to just even, even if I were seated, you know, if I had to sit there quiet, I would just have been happy about it because it was, it's interesting how 
the different perspectives into it and the visualization process i would say as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. how that can take you also also in 2007 i remember the first time i came to switzerland to geneva i stood outside of the palais de nation and i said to myself i'm gonna work here one day and that was even before that was before i went to to singapore and i worked at geneva and in singapore so I think that there's that power of like really wanting something and visualizing it and trying to get to it. Okay, um, I was just going to say, it sounds to me like you're, you're very good at setting yourself very clear, mm-hmm. specific goals yeah. and then going after them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was where, where does that come from? I definitely, it's very my clear mother. Thinking. Um, but I, I think there are two, two aspects to this. One is my mother because she would always tell us the world is yours you let me know, like, let's just deconstruct the situation and see how we make it happen. And I think that was a very empowering way to, to talk to us. And she made us believe that there was, there was not such a hurdle, you know, that we could get to wherever we wanted to be if we wanted to, if we really wanted. It's a bit difficult to, to set that expectation because, you know, you never know what happens. But I think all of us are very, quite ambitious in the ways that we want to move mm. um, and lead our lives. But then... Uh, The second part of the equation was that I grew up as a volleyball player and it was for the not the national team but the city team and I think that sports are such a such a fundamental way of being able to visualize and control and set a goal and get to that goal and having played at a quite high performance level since I was seven years old I think that gave me a lot of tools for that can be again translated into the professional life because it's a lot of discipline self-discipline you have to do exactly the same than the other kids at school with much limited you know limited time and somehow resources because you get you know you train in the morning go to school train in the afternoon and still have to go home to do homework and i think that Having a little bit of an A-type personality helps as well. <laughs> being very... <laughs> it, can, it can, taken too far, sort of results in you being you know, quite controlling. Of course, yes. But, yeah. um, and, and you know, from an entrepreneurship perspective, yes, um, yes. You know, it makes you less comfortable with ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Actually, the and two things don't sit together too, too well. And I think that's when the migration pattern helps in terms of my... my story maybe if i had stayed in colombia i would not have had the Mm. same uh, relationship to control versus uncertainty um because uh, through the migration path whatever situation you're in everything the next step is always uncertain always Mm. and in entrepreneurship is Mm. the same Mm. the next step is most likely to be uncertain Mm. and i like that parallel so what what led you to becoming an entrepreneur and how do you at that point self-identified did you think of yourself as entrepreneurial yeah so I, I ended up um, well I had never I always had this fascination for working on the field of migration but I didn't have any experience of it so I actually was kind of an accidental entrepreneur in a way mm-hmm. because I what I was interested in was the field mm-hmm. not necessarily being an entrepreneur um, but um, as I explained earlier during the, the panel or the discussion when I moved to from the G- French part of Switzerland to the German part of Switzerland, um, I started looking for jobs, and I, because I lived in different parts of the world, I never had a gap in my CV that was more than two weeks. Mm. So I thought to myself, I'm gonna move. I'm gonna take two, you know, a couple of maybe one month, maybe two months off, and I'm gonna go back to work. 
And sure enough, I came back and maybe one month after I started looking for jobs and literally putting all my efforts, two months after three months, doing everything, four months, five months. And I was going to events, applying. I, I kid you not, I must have sent about 500 targeted applications and nothing, not even one positive, not even one interview, which was very strange because I almost always got to the interview. And if I got to the interview, I knew that it was easier to get into the organization because I, I like talking and I think I like to So as you were saying earlier on the panel, that, that um, entrepreneurship in a way for you was, was an entry into work. Exactly. Because every other door was being shut for you. I was so you. frustrated. Did you feel unemployable? Yeah, you and then I, I was started, that ridiculous. And actually, yes, it was ridiculous. And the, and the, the, the what it was very interesting about that is that I started thinking that it was my fault, right? Like I was like, oh, because even if you have a very strong and confident personality, after having five hundred rejections, you, so you, I mean, there's only so much you can do. Even though yeah. I was literally tailoring everything, I even went to a coach. I went to experts on CV writing, on the standards of CV writing mm. for the German part. I was taking classes, intensive German classes, doing literally everything I could possibly do. So after, I think, nine months, I was almost like I was literally in a very bad place. I just didn't. For me, work work is an, an essential, central part of, of my mm. identity, but of many people's identity. And it was when I found the Impact Hub, actually. So then I found the Impact Hub, and I actually found out that um, our co-founder, Emily, was a starting that was back in 2015, was starting with this idea. So I heard about it because of the coach, of the job coach or career coach that I was visiting. And she told me, well, you know what? If you want to enter into the field of migration, there is this possibility, but you have to volunteer because it's an idea. Mm -hmm. It has not been prototyped or piloted, so you have to give it a try. And I was like, everything, just give me something else to whatever it takes. <laughs> And it was a blessing because A, like Emily was the first person who believed in me after having sent so many applications and being so frustrated and not knowing what else to do, almost thinking like I need to leave this country, I don't know what or at least like Interesting. Uh-huh. So she really and she didn't have any funding then. Uh-huh. And she did everything on her power to get funding to hire me. And I would always, always literally like owe her that. And I think she's one of the most open-hearted most beautiful people that would ever exist she's from the uk um and she we're all like that you yeah, know yeah i know you're all like that and she came <laughs> actually it was this and, and then i started realizing that our group of, of of um powerful women entrepreneurs we all experienced this especially foreigners we all experienced the exact same thing she had a phd on human geography right she came to switzerland no job after a year Anna Maria, the same thing, two years looking for a job, massive international experience, multiple languages. So I started realizing, oh my God, I'm not alone. This is an experience not unique to Switzerland no. though, is it? I mean, you, this is, you see this in certainly in the this UK. This happens in you many know, Smart, places. educated, migrant workers. You, know, now, you, s- yeah. you see it with refugees yeah. coming in, you know, exactly. in, into places like but Lebanon and Jordan. Mm-hmm. They have, they have real issues yeah, with that. Yeah, of course. But the difference is between highly qualified and low-skilled refugees mm. or migrants. And I think that after doing some research now for the ne- for the past three years into the field, the Swiss market labor market for foreigners is incredibly difficult because mm. if you look at the way in which... Um, I, th- I don't think it's an excuse and it's not to sound or to blame mm. a system because I think it's a, mul- it's a combination of factors. But 
if you look at the process, you have to write down so many things of your personal data, mm. including your photo, before you can actually um, talk about your experience or your academic background. So the first thing that it's scanned is a lot of you know personal data that is pr it prones for bias mm -hmm. directly, right? Yeah. Um, to wrap that up, there's a very interesting article by, um, I don't know his name, so I have to research about that and send you the link. But it's a man who is in the Zurich area, who has been there for many years, highly qualified, amazing person. And he had been sending more, like, like the same, endless numbers of applications, really good applications, with his name and his photo. Um, and he decided to change his name and his photo for literally so for for a Swiss name and for a Swiss photo and for the same applications he got calls right away after two years of oh no I in his case was something ridiculous like five years of trying to find employment so I think there's a, a wider systemic discrimination issue and trying to enter the Swiss labor market through I must say it's not the same experience for me in the Geneva area it was definitely that experience in the German speaking part of Switzerland mm. Um, I think also the, due to the language factor, it's not only it's not only German, but it's also Swiss German. So you're either overqualified or underqualified for certain positions. So, in yeah, well, that's what we're trying to disrupt, and we're trying to to use uh, from a very positive framework um, disrupt the patterns and find livelihood um, ideas, and also being being able to use our skills. So as an accidental, um, it was definitely uh, entrepreneur. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself? Um, for it being in such a different organizational environment from what you were used to. I loved it. I forgot to tell you that right before that, when I got my burnout, it was because I was uh, at a consultancy organization on gender equality worldwide. Right. Um, the organization had a beautiful, wonderful tool. The actual work was fine. But um, for me, it was a big disconnect of values in between how I see the world and seeing that most companies wanted to check boxes and not really engage into the topic at a disruptive level um so then i knew that i wanted you know I, I i at that point i realized i don't want to do anything based on my ego i don't want my career to be based on a status and i started realizing that i really wanted to go down to i read a book called the purpose economy and it really made me understand that i'm definitely a grassroots person and that i thrive in grassroots initiatives where i can see the impact at the local level even if it's the smaller and when I'm very distanced from impact and policy is very broad and I don't see it, even though I know I may be influencing a large number of people, I, I don't feel the same um, motivation to go to work because I need the tangible yeah. side of things and more on the ground work. So that's when I realized You don't that get the feedback loop really do you, exactly. in terms of the satisfaction of, yeah. of the impact I you're mean, having. I, it's I too remote in, in policy. I yeah, but right now I to be honest, I, I just recently read a really cool quote that said there's not such a thing as, as work life balance. Everything that imbalances your life, it's worth pursuing. And I thought it was so fascinating because I read it on a Sunday and I was working with so much joy that day and I realized like I don't care if it's a Sunday or a Monday or a Friday. I obviously have do make time for myself and whatever I want to do, but that beauty on the flexibility and the agility of being able to work with a team who's super professional but also very open and we can work remotely from wherever we want and being able to have control in a sense of our own lives and to be able to support each other on any endeavor be it like we you know 
you see our team, we have babies around, dogs running around as well. We're in the middle of co-working spaces, sometimes somewhere else. And I think for me, that dynamic is just, it's just precious. And, and still most people who know me are like, how, how do you manage to take so many holidays? I'm like, oh, no, I'm just working from here or here or here. And it's just really fascinating that you can you kind shape of your life. Be kind of ditched. It. Well, yeah. I mean, that's it's a it's a revelation for people yeah. that are used to kind of nine to five, exactly. you know, corporate yes. jobs, that kind of thing, where 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 there is a a clear distinction between work and life, yeah. and you shut the door exactly. on it, and, and, exactly. and equally you shut the door on you don't bring yeah. yourself to work, yeah, your whole self. Um, so ha- having that that lack of a dichotomy between the two, mm-hmm. you know, where, where it's you're essentially living with purpose, yeah. Exactly. And, and, you've got, and you've got a total alignment between your mission, what you're trying to achieve, and, and your uh, your work. Yeah, and um, the team itself. You're not I making think. compromises on exactly, anything. Exactly, not at all. And working with a team that really cares and such a talented team, and all of us have arrived because of the same reason of not being able to find a job. So I think that has been really powerful because we all treasure each other and we all just are there for each other personally and professionally and that uplifting feeling is is priceless your mother must be so proud of you mm. you've come a long way from uh, being born in, <laughs> in the middle of the, the, middle amazon, of river. the amazon you uh, any plans to be an astronaut yet <laughs> <laughs> actually yeah um i was listening to a talk at this start summit i believe in st Gallen. Uh, by a space, oh, I forgot what the name is, but it's one of the um, intrapreneurs at NASA who are developing different new technologies within the organization. Like it's almost an, an innovation within the innovative work of NASA. Mm-hmm. And he was actually encouraging people, anybody around, to start doing things within the fields because there were so many opportunities, even if you don't come from that field. So he was giving so many detailed specificities and i'll try to find where where he 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 put the link and everything because i think it's really fascinating to try to enter a whole different field and he really encouraged us so who knows maybe in a couple of years i will end up (laughs) (laughs) in mars (laughs) (laughs) watch this space (laughs) maybe we come back and do another one of these with with a helmet (laughs) on or something (laughs) exactly Valentina, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I never talk so much. So thank (laughs) you for asking about my journey. (laughs) A pleasure and great meeting you as well today. Likewise. I'm your host, Tony Cook, and I'm on a mission to provide inspiration and insight for people changing their world. So check out changehackers.org to read show notes, guest blogs, and subscribe to access bonus content. Remember... This show's for you and change hackers like you. So drop me a line, tell me what you love, what you hate, or ideas you have for improving the show. And let me know if you know someone who'd make a great guest on this show. Maybe a friend, someone you work with, maybe even you. Just use the contact form at changehackers.org. I'd love to hear from you. Till next time, change hackers. <laughs>